This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at craftsanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman-Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is episode 137, part 2. We're going to pick up where we left off with the interview with Eric Hoffman, the very nice printmaker that I met on Instagram who is based in Warwick, Rhode Island. That's where he launched Spafford Press a little more than a year ago. So we're going to pick up with him talking a little bit about his love of jazz music and how that has influenced some of his artwork. If you haven't checked out the first installment of this interview, we broke it up into two parts because it was a little bit longer. I really encourage you to go back and check out part one because it'll be great for you to know a little bit more about Eric. All right, let's settle in to hear a little more from Eric. Let's talk a little bit about the jazz theme, because you have a lot of jazz going on in your Etsy shop there. What led you to start doing prints of jazz artists? I love old jazz. I have a couple of very, very good friends that are musicians, and they listen to everything in the world, and they really like jazz. They really like old blues. And when I was like in high school or so, I was introduced to it through them and, you know, picked up on it. And I ended up really loving that kind of music as well. But it's funny now because, you know, 10, 20 you know, years go by in your thirties or whatever. And I run into people all the time and they'll be like, you know, oh, you like jazz. And they immediately think of like the music at the dentist office or like on the elevator at like JC Penny. And they're like, <laughs> how can you sit down and listen to like, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no. You have no idea how, how passionate and crazy and amazing this music is. How Like, it's just like, incredible you know and like there's like this whole period of like the 1950s and 60s where hard bop jazz was just huge like blue note records had a new album coming out every other week it might be horace silver's album he's the piano player but like the guy playing trumpet and the guy in saxophone and everything they're all the same guys you know and then the next week you know it's the new jackie mclean album but horace silver's on that one playing the piano so it's kind of like you know you could i kind of like you know 15 or 20 musicians i think off the top of my head and between the 15 or 20 of them, I mean, the catalog of music is like 600 albums out there. And what's amazing is like, even though it's a lot of it's different, a lot of it's, some of it's quiet, some of it's like really passionate and wild, like there's really not a dud in the bunch. <laughs> and the more I've read about it and seen how these guys live their lives and some of them just needed to make some money and they needed to, they needed to record every week. You know, they were at the engineer's place, you know, like you need a sax guy on the Coltrane album because I'll do it. You know, I need the money. But it's just funny now to look back and say, oh, that album that he was looking for 50 bucks to get cigarettes with, you know, that ends up becoming like this legendary, phenomenal thing, you know, that people listen to forever, you know. For me, I think like with jazz and blues, there's a lot of soul, there's a lot of real grit to it. I think there's a lot of passion for that. And I think there's just a lot of real raw talent. And I think when you start getting into jazz and you're hearing these guys like, you know, oh, wow, how old was that guy playing the trumpet? And you know, he's 18, you know, I can't even imagine like, I could barely make my bed at 18. I was such a little bratty kid. And it's like, I can't imagine like touring and being a recording musician and like, you know, in their fifties and just sounding like these guys, phenomenal amount of music. It's not just talent, like unbelievable. And I, I just have such respect for, it. I think it's just an incredible type of music. I love listening to it. I have it on in the shop all the time, all the time. Like, and you know, some days it's like, you know, standard bop stuff, which, you know, if my wife pops down with, with our son, you know, she'll go, oh, this is kind of cool, and they'll dance around for a second to it. And other days, it's like the absolute crazy, you know, free jazz, Ornette Coleman, like, oh, absolute, like, <laughs> lunacy going on in the basement, and it's like, oh, we're going to leave, uh, let's leave that alone for a couple hours, let him print down there, you know? <laughs> He's going crazy. But um, but I love it. I love the music, and and. and I think a few years ago, I was when I was really getting into wood engraving. I was doing animals. I was I was doing some scenery, and 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 I started finding that like I was doing like animals like elephants and stuff. And I kind of thought that I was I was you know I mean they looked like the animals when I was done, and there was there was skill to it. But I started saying to myself, I've got to challenge myself a little bit because if I fall into this niche of like I can do animals and like you know whatever, I'll just keep doing them, and it kind of becomes easy. So I said, I want to try and work on some portrait work and see if I can get people's likenesses to really come out in, with these tiny little black and white gravings. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to do some, some jazz guys. And what's nice about it is like there's, there's a lot of photos of these guys when they were young in the 50s and 60s. And the photos 
were taken with these like extremely contrasty, like black and white, like, mm, like yeah. very little shadow and these, just these stunning poses with the horns and the drums. And so I would work off of like some of these really famous photos and try and like kind of emulate it in an engraving style. You know, the first ones were a little rougher than the later ones and stuff. And then I've done, I think, 11 altogether right now. I, I think I have about five more in me and that would probably wrap the series. But I think uh, they're getting better. <laughs> like anything yeah, no, I think, I think they're good. Well, and the Miles Davis one in particular, I'm just stunned by the level. I mean, just the lines are so small. I'll post a photo and I'll link over to your shop so people can get their hands on one of these. Are there any prints left of the Miles Davis? Oh, yeah, definitely. Most of my editions still have stuff remaining in them. Not for me, but there's only a couple that are really sold out, and usually they're ones that have been around a little longer. Okay. It's kind of picked up some steam. That's the other part of the jazz series, too. Like, a lot of them, they're not the, the big sellers, because there's not a lot of jazz fans. Like, when I did a Miles, I immediately said, you know, usually like when I do a print, I'll do, like, an edition of 50. Usually 50 is, like, my, my golden number. So, right. like, when I did, like, that guy Booker Irving I mentioned earlier, like, I said, I'm going to sell three of these, and I'm going to be looking at these little papers, like, you know, 20 years from now. But I said, when I do Miles, like, I mean, come on, you know, people know who Miles is, and I think it's making a Miles Davis movie right now. So I said, you know, they'll, they'll do all right. And sure enough, that's exactly how it is. I have some engravings of musicians I have a lot of, I really love and uh, have a lot of respect for, and no one really knows who they are. So, so you can get number three of 50 for those guys if you want. You know, right, music. right. Well, no, Miles, Miles trucks along. He does all right. Do you start by sketching something out? Because the detail is so amazing. How do you just accomplish this? Well, I'll tell you. It's the, the, kind of, the kind of work I do is basically, it's basically wood engraving. So it's sort of like a, it was very popular in like the 1700s, 1800s. It's how basically when newspapers came out originally, any of the images in it, like scenes or photographs or anything, like they had to be wood engravings because there wasn't any photography around. So, right. if, you know, if I could go back in time 150 years, I could actually like get a paycheck every week doing this. <laughs> but, um, with, you know, but nowadays it's more of like, you know, like, like an, an art and a craft. And it's really, I think it's getting a little bit more steam now, but for ages it was just dead. It's really popular in England and a couple of places across the seas, and it always has been. I think a lot of it originated there, so there's always sort of been groups of artists and stuff that have, you know, owned old presses and done wood engravings and, and whatnot. But as far as, like, contemporary wood engravings, there aren't a lot of us. I mean, maybe you know, a couple hundred, maybe a thousand, as opposed to, like, if I said I was a abstract painter in my 30s, and you go, you know, there's millions of you guys, and there's, a, there's more people to talk with, there's more people to, like, go out and get coffee with and stuff. And, you know, I've joined a couple of different, the Wood Engravers Network and the Society of Wood Engravers that's in England. And, you know, it kind of brings together hundreds of us so that we can nerd out about the processes of how we make things and stuff. But I do these little engravings and usually, basically, it's kind of like a woodcut or a linoleum cut or even like a stamp. Super simple. But the tools used in it are these very, very super, super sharp, super fine little, like, they're almost like the tools used to like these to like engrave jewelry with like these little burns, you know, okay. and the blocks that you use are very, very hard, smooth. Um, and they're made so that when you take the burn and you sort of like push it along the surface, it just removes a fine, fine little line of the material. Whereas with a woodcut, you kind of take a chisel and kind of like cut a piece out of the top of the piece. Right. Of wood, You're taking a you substantial know? amount out. Yes. You're taking these little fine amounts out. After you kind of get used to the process of it, you can take more and more out and it, you can start really getting shadows and, and stuff like that. The most beautiful thing about it is you have the Miles Davis in front of you. If you kind of like just hold it back and you look at it, sometimes it doesn't, you have to remember like all of this is black ink and white paper. Mm -hmm. But like when you look at it, it goes, I can see like all these shading in his cheeks and like, you know, the shading in his face and that his face kind of looks like it's modeled and it's like shaded in and like there's gray tones in it. But there really isn't. It's literally just black lines and white paper. And I think the little tiny fine tools and all these just these little combinations of making like a million little fine white lines and then having them just swell a little bit. And then when you hold that back, it kind of becomes two different tones. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just very detail orientated. I mean, a lot of us have like the little jewelers eyepieces when we engrave because, you know, you got to see things so fine and like, you know. Like, it's just, it's wild. It's a wild process. And if you're doing the kind of engraving I'm doing where I want things to kind of look realistic or I want a portrait to actually look 
it's a shaded in, you know, representation of someone and I'm not doing anything too abstract, then I, you really have to sit there and make these like you know, very repetitive sort of fine lines. And then I go back in, I slowly make them a little wider and a little wider and a little further together and then just constantly checking the block. And, and that's basically how I build it up. You know, so for miles, like most of my blocks, I kind of started with a photograph. I think that photo of him that I used is from like the early 70s. I kind of take the photo. I kind of do a drawing based on it. I might even like sort of trace the outline just to get the eyes and everything down because with something so realistic, it has to be so dead on, you know. Right. From the drawing, it usually gets transferred to a block. The blocks I use are called resin grays, and the, the material, the actual resin gray stuff is bright, bright white. So when you stain the top of the block black, the beauty of this is every time you engrave or you carve a little mark out of it, it's like you see the bright white on the black. So okay. you almost like from minute one, you kind of have an idea of what the print's going to look like. It's right. just the print's going to be reversed, you know. Right. So um, that helps like dramatically that, you know, <laughs> that as I'm making these little shaded areas in his face, I can kind of just hold the block back and go, okay, it seems to be making sense now, you know. But um, it starts with a pretty loose drawing or just a, you know, a, a tight drawing, but that's not really filled in. And I basically end up with a block that kind of has an outline on it that tells me like where the eyes are, where the nose is, maybe where some of the heavier shadows are. And then I really just go for the tools and I start slowly bringing out the light areas from the dark areas, really. You know, and it just, you know, you build it up and build it up and you build up the lights until finally you have like definition and it kind of looks like him and, you know, it's good to go. And that's the same with like the animals and stuff too. Like if I have a print of an octopus, it's usually kind of a loose drawing of the octopus, maybe like where some shadows are, where the suction cups are, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of go at it. I usually take process shots, and this is that kind of thing too with Instagram, where I would never post all of them because people would lose their minds because it's like you know there may be thirty of them, but <laughs> right. you know, the, the box starts out with like this little pencil outline on it, and then usually the next shot, which is like an hour later, it's like just these little human hair fine lines. They're just kind of like throughout the guy. Like, okay, I'm just sort of saying to myself, this is like where the head is, you know, that's it. <laughs> and then the next step is like maybe some more lines, some more lines. And then finally after like, I don't know, a day or so is when I start saying, all right, I'm going to take this section. I'm just going to make these lines a hair thicker. And when I do that, at like six lines in a row. When I hold the thing back, it's actually going to be like a brighter spot on its face. And after that, you just it just goes and goes and goes until it makes sense. <laughs> so again, it's a very tedious kind of crazy process. And printing them is an absolute nightmare too. I'll be the first one to tell you. I print on the etching press. I have printed them on a more traditional letterpress too. But when you have these super, super, super fine lines, and then next to them, like just a section that's just black, like it's just a black background, inking them is a nightmare. You have to like sort of ink the face so finely that the lines don't fill in. But then you got to make sure that the rest of the block has enough ink on it so that it doesn't look soft, that it's actually a solid black. How do you actually do that then? Do you kind of do the part that's carved and then then go back and try to get ink on the, the flat part, the flat surface around it? I have tried that sometimes, but a lot of the time there'll be really dark parts interwoven with little parts. And I mean, in reality, the, the easiest way to get ink on a block is just to do it in quick passes sort right. of instead of like kind of dabbling it or whatever that never really works so usually what i do and this is i've told a lot of people this on, on instagram I, this is one of my like if i had to have five tips in printmaking or relief printmaking be probably the number one one is like when you go to print just like super thin layers of ink you know and i see it a lot like on people's prints like they'll be like all right ink it up the block and like <laughs> their little their little roller brayer looks like it has like a tube of paint squeezed out on it and i'm like I just like shrivel up. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to ruin everything, you know? Whereas I am putting on like these films of ink that like, I mean, I think if you touch them with your finger, it would barely make like a fingerprint and just building up these super, super, super little films of ink until you just get the right amount. And it's one of those things where it's different every time. And, you know, and, and then with the blocks that have a lot of fine stuff in the middle and then a lot of just black around the edges, Usually, again, you know, after you've thrown away about 30 or 40 of the prints and you've finally figured out exactly how much ink gets put on them and how it gets inked properly, usually like the edges of the block where it needs to be a little bit blacker, there's ways to sort of with the press, like use little pieces of extra paper and sort of make, they call it like a make ready, but you can sort of like pad the, the thing. So like when it goes to go under the press, more pressure is on the black part 
and as pressers on the face, right. if that makes sense. Right. But when you pull the paper off in the end, because it really got smashed in the black areas, it, it, you know, it did nothing but get black. And because the face was just delicately kind of put through the press without any additional stuff squishing it down, it came out nice and clean. But again, as you can just hear me blabbering about it, and this is a process that like takes hours and hours, even now, when I dozens and dozens of blocks, I was able to start one tomorrow. I mean, I can tell you right now that it'd be about four hours or so before I really pull the first successful print and then I can really say to myself, all right, let's start the edition wow. and make sure all 50 of them are just perfect and there aren't any that are a little darker, or a little smudgy or something. Because that's one of the things I think I took away from printmaking school is that whole, like, if you're going to do an edition, whether it's 10 prints or a thousand, like, they have to be perfect. <laughs> right. Like, no smudges, no anything different. Like, they got to be dead on perfect. It's tough when everything's done by hand. For the Miles Davis, for the folks at home, they can go to the website and see a photo of it. How many hours carving time, roughly, take it to engrave that? Taking the photo, kind of doing those loose drawings and just getting that kind of loose drawing on the block. That's probably like an hour's worth of work because I'm kind of mostly working from a photo. But from the first time I pick up the tool until I kind of realize that it's resolved and it's finished, I would say for Miles, it was probably like maybe think, 25 or 28 hours or something. Wow. So it's probably like in, usually in four or five hour chunks. I tend to, when I go to engrave, I tend to have to wake up on the day where I'm like, all right, I want to do this. You know, because if you wake up and you're half asleep and you're thinking about going to the dentist tomorrow and your tooth hurts and stuff, like I, I can't get involved in it because like if you're in like hour 20 of finishing up a block and you just make one wrong move with that tool, oh, like man. you can't fix it. And this is the thing that when I have a show, people come and look at the work and I show them a block and I show them the print and it kind of starts to gel like, oh, I get it. And that's really detailed. And wow, that must be really hard. And they ask like, how long did it take? And that's really crazy and stuff. And then they'll go like, what if you make a mistake? And I go, I'll tell you, every single block probably has a couple of mistakes in it. And you have to immediately figure out a way to work them into the composition because mm -hmm. there's no fixing the block. Like you can't glue a little tiny hairline piece back in there and then when you print it have it be perfect like it is like what you do to it is what you do to it. <laughs> right. so, and you don't want to start <laughs> again when you have 20 no. hours in no i mean if you're a couple hours i mean i have had blocks and i've talked to a lot of engravers you know very famous engravers too even to this day where you have a block sometimes and you start engraving it and you're going at it and you got all these great ideas and maybe you're an hour or even like 10 hours into it and you just look at it and you're like i have to just get rid of this it's not working I, I'm either going to do it again or switch it around or change something. But like sometimes you just start something and it, it doesn't work in the end. And you, you, you know, at that point, it's like, you know what, we're going to just get rid of it. <laughs> I'm going to try this again because I had one recently. I was doing a small little engraving for one of our note cards, like a little sugar skull. Mm -hmm. One of the little day of the dead skulls. Right, I right. I had a great drawing, and great design. I transferred it on. I started engraving and stuff. And I don't know what it was, but just like the way the lines were getting put together and stuff, it was starting to look a little clunky. And unfortunately, with these engravings, like, as soon as things start really going wrong, like, there isn't a lot you can do. And in the end, I just kind of finished it, again, very kind of casually at that point. I took a proof of it, and I was like, this thing's a disaster. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people would probably go, oh, it's so cool. It's like a spell. It's off the little lines. It's a nice design. But for me, it was not working at all. And that little block is just sort of... <laughs> in a pile down there. I am going to do it there to sell, but it's going to get totally redone, you know? <laughs> How long will you spend on a print run for the Miles Davis? It's take a while. Like, 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 like with Miles and with any of them, you know, if I get down there, I have the block and I lock it into the press and, you know, I, everything gets inked by hand, like you were saying, everything, the paper gets placed down by hand and it's rolled through by hand. Usually it's a couple of hours, two, three hours, maybe 20 prints or so that you're constantly trying to figure out like, oh, why is the block shifting? Why is his face filling and why is this happening? And you're fooling around and everything. But once you got it good and you're like, this is perfect. And you pull another one, you go, oh, that's the same. It's perfect. I usually do about like a run of 50. Sometimes I'll do 40 if it's an animal or if it's something that, but usually I do about 50. I think that's a good number. And I would say from like really awesome image, you know, print number one to number 50, it usually takes about like maybe four hours or so on the etching press because it goes pretty quickly. I would say like it's gelling. It's almost like the etching press has a mind of its own. Mm -hmm. After a couple hours or like around 1030 at night where you've had your 10th cup of coffee and you're like getting jittery, all of a sudden it's like, boom, every print's perfect. I, you have no idea why. And at that point you're like, I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to finish these, <laughs> right. go to bed at two in the morning. And tomorrow when I wake up, I hope they're not all a disaster. I'm just like hallucinating. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes it's easy to be very impressed with yourself at 2 a.m. One of the first wedding invitation tweets we did a long time ago, 
it was supposed to be the color of all the text and the type and everything was going to be this really pretty gray. It was a Pantone gray color, which means like it was pre-mixed. It was, it was dead on. Like there's no possibly this isn't what it's supposed to be. But when you're hand inking stuff, you can put it on a little thicker right. than in, like one yeah. of the big old fashioned automated presses would. Right. So it could come out darker. And like, again, I was going way late into the night and I finally got the thing not to be smudgy and I'm like cranking them out. And there's a couple that ordered like 75. And I had them all hanging dry and everything. I got to them super late. And the next day I go around, I looked at them and I'm like, you know, they printed clean. They're beautiful. But I'm like, they're kind of dark. And they were all 75 of them almost looked like I used black ink. It's just oh, it was too no. heavy of an application. So I kind of just had to completely redo them again and stuff. But so it happens. Like there's times when you go down the next day and you go, what was I thinking? Like these are a disaster. <laughs> I think with, art, with a lot of artists and printmakers, especially out of college, it's like the first thing you want to learn is how to like self-motivate yourself. Like you said before, I don't have a deadline, but I do need to get something done and not like put it off forever. Right. And I think that's a hard thing to do. And I think another hard thing to do is that like find a way to know like your limits or just know when like something isn't going right just be like i'll come back to this tomorrow like this is just not going anywhere tonight you started off with just the etching press you were doing letterpress trying to make it do everything for you so i think i observed something on social media here that you have a, another press now yes it was totally cool yeah this year you know like i said the etching press is, is big it does everything you need it to do but it does it very slow because every little step of it's manual. So if I'm doing engravings, you know, and I'm going to make 50, it's, I like going slow. Like, you want them perfect. But if somebody comes up to me and they're like, hey, can you do some letterpress business cards for me? It's like, yeah, that's perfect. And then if you're running those through a press one at a time, you know, oh, yeah, that's a thousand slow. business cards might take you, you know, four days and nights. And it's like, that's the <laughs> third. Like, this should take you, like, a couple of hours, maybe, you know. They're going to have to pay, like, seven grand for these business cards for you to be worth a while. Which is probably not going to happen. But if any of your listeners want seven thousand dollars for business cards, you can send I'll them send, a link I'll to send me. them your way. So any of the the high rollers out there that listen to the show, those could be gold. We'll actually make you'll those make gold. them we'll out put of gold, gold. Right on the gold. You'll have gold ink. It'll be excellent. Oh but um, but yes, you're right. This year, um, because the big press was doing it, does what it does needs to do. But I kind of started saying like I'm spending. I said, like, my time is becoming money. I mean, when you, I think when you start a business, you don't pay yourself. You don't care about time. You know, if you, if you have a project for somebody, you kind of cost out what the materials are, and you round it up 100 bucks. You're like, cool, I made 100 bucks. But you don't factor in that you spent 30 hours, like, training right. things, you know. Right. And, and, it's, and it's like you don't care because you're like, I'm doing what I love. I don't have to put on a tie tomorrow. You know, I can drink coffee out of a mug. I don't have to buy it on the way to my work, you know. Right. And it's cool. I've always been looking at letter presses, like actual little plate and presses and, and like um, presses that are specifically made for letter press. And the, the difference is, is um, for you listeners, like the, the etching press is like this big press bed. It has a big roller and everything kind of slowly rolls under the thing and that kind of squishes it and makes the print. Whereas these little letter presses, they kind of, they're almost like a clamshell and they almost like, like if you clap your hands, like they kind of smack together and make a print that way. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of rolling under a roller, it's more like it's hitting it dead on. So you get like a cleaner print, but also the way these presses are made, they're kind of got this like little weird function to them where you, it, once you get cooking, it's kind of like you put the card in, pull the lever, it's like click, bang, boom, it's printed, pull it out, put another one in, click, bang, boom. You're still doing it by hand, but it's like it's set up in a way that like it inks the block itself, right. um, you know, and and it just goes very quickly. So I've always wanted a big letter press, but as I was saying much earlier, you know, they're very expensive, they're really hard to find. But there are some people that you can find a smaller one usually a lot easier. I'll be totally honest with you. I was in the market of trying to find one that I didn't have to put any work into. And most of my peers that do printmaking, almost everyone I know that has a letterpress business, they all have stories that they found their first press. It's usually in like a junk shop. And then there's uh, like a big truck involved usually, a giant yeah. truck yeah. and a yeah. high-low high and yeah. <laughs> or even just if it's a small one, they found it and it was this rusty mess and they, you know, spent months, you know, fixing it up and they, you know, they have a lot of pride in it and it works great. But I was kind of in the, in the, just in this idea of like, you know, I need a little press. I need it to be ready to go out of the box and, and, and good to go. So there's a, there's a seller on eBay. I've been following this person for years because every two or three weeks, they, they totally refurbish these smaller tabletop presses from like the 50s and 60s. 
And then they usually sell them, you know, and I was always watching to see, like, what they ended at and how they're going and stuff. And once in a while, I'd take a look at their reviews, and the people that bought these presses were like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, it works gorgeous. So I've kind of always just, like, you know, it's one of my eight million things I look at every once in a while on the computer. And when we started thinking about it, I was like, I think I want to do this. I'm going to make the jump and get a small tabletop press because I can, things like business cards or even just taking all of your stuff and just, like, putting the offeredpress.com on the back of it. It might take a half an hour with this guy instead of like two days on the big press, you know? Right, right. So we did, we went through, I actually went through eBay and I watched a couple of auction stuff and I ended up winning press and it's a 1958 Kelsey Clayton press. Cool. And um, it's a beauty. It's a real beauty. I mean, it came and I mean, it looks like the bottom of the store in 1958. Like the person did a lot of work to it and it's stunning. It's a lot of fun. It works totally different than any other press I used in school or anything and it does take a while to sort of get it so that you know the pressure is right and the ink is right and everything once it gets cooking like it's it's quick it's really nice is that tabletop yeah it's tabletop i'd say i mean i can lift it and move it it, it weighs about 70 pounds or so it's 75 pounds the chase or the part in the press that you would actually like lock the block into or you'd lock like the lettering or the mm-hmm. type or whatever it's going to print that is five inches by eight inches okay which means it, it really is only about like maybe four inches by seven inches because the extra edges of it don't tend to like hold the pressure as well on these smaller presses so it gives you the limitation of saying like okay well i don't really print anything that's like maybe four by six to get a really nice clean print but so what we're doing with our with the Spofford Press business side of this, not so much like the art and the printmaking side, but like the note cards and um, stuff like that, they're all pretty small. I mean, you know, you don't usually buy note cards that are ginormous. So, right. you know, we usually do like these little smaller cards. I can do a small engraving. Like I just did one of a little like fiddler crab and I, this tiny little engraving, I think it's like maybe an inch and a half by an inch and a half square little. I locked that right into this little press, mixed up a really nice, beautiful blue ink on it. And once it got cooking, I was able to print, I don't know, like 50 or 60 of them on really beautiful, like thick white letterpress paper and then a nice little indentation. And then, you know, I dried them overnight and they kind of sat and it's like they're ready to go. Where if, if that little crab was on the big press, it would have been like a whole night getting 50 cards out of them. With the two presses, it sounds like you're good to go. It's pretty good. If our business doubles and triples over the next couple of years and I'm going to have to probably look into like renting a space and I'm definitely going to, you know, look into buying a bigger press that's a lot faster and a lot right. and handle bigger stuff. So, I mean, like if I do wedding invitations, they're still getting done on like the etching press. So I still have to kind of add in like the fact that like, I'm going to probably need a couple of days and nights to do these. Whereas if you have a bigger version of the little plate and press I have, it's still only going to take an hour. But, you know, you can do these gigantic wedding invitations. So, again, it's like that time's money kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> what would you like to see happening in about five years with Bofford Press? Five years is, is pretty wild, I think, down the line. In the next, I'd say, six months to a year, I am definitely going forward with, like, turning Spofford Press more into, like, a letterpress company. So, whereas now if you have, like, a handful of cards, and they're all printed from engravings, but we also sell like my finer art prints of animals and musicians and stuff. It's kind of like it's starting to bubble a little. And I'm really focusing the second half of 2014 and just like totally like getting a whole line of like cards out there. And I just, I really want everyone to kind of know that we're the new letterpress company on the block. Some rehearsals around, you think, ah, oh, I want to buy some little cards. Let me take a look at what Spotter Press did this year. And like you think to go to us and look. The thing I'm finding out very quickly about having a print shop and a letterpress business when it comes to these cards and stuff is it's nice to have in your portfolio like some thank you notes and simpler things maybe like even a condolences card and whatnot what i'm really liking to do is when it comes to cards that have images or anything drawn or anything on them you know instead of using like clip art or using like a little like a drawing i found online or something like i'm actually doing like wood cuts and engravings and pen and ink drawings and stuff and those are what's on the cards it's kind of fun like you almost get an original print engraving from me but you get it for like four dollars because it's like a small card that has like a little crab on it or a little whale on it or something what i'm also learning about the letterpress business is like sarcasm is like king you know if you do 10 christmas cards and they're all pretty traditional and even some of them are absolutely stunningly beautiful and really creative and then you have one that's just super snarky or it's like one that like totally (laughs) makes you look at it and go oh my god that crap happens to me every year at christmas that's the one you're going to sell the tenfold of oh, yeah. the other ones. And yeah. um, it's the same with any other kind of card, too. Like, I mean, it, it's funny. This first half of this year, we've gotten 
quite a few things out in the stationary line. A couple of them have some swears. And they yeah, have like I, a little... I see one. It's, I'm looking at one of them right now, which is hilarious because there's no ink even involved. This is just, yeah, totally. This is completely embossed. <laughs> And I'm just looking at this, and it's, so, it's written so beautifully, and it be, go F yourself if you have children exactly. in the room. Um, yep. I, you know, I'm not telling you to do that or the folks at home. That's what your card says. Um, which, exactly. <laughs> which is just, when I saw that, I was like, I was like, that is really funny. I, but this, I don't know a, a lot of people I could send that to. And not, like, yeah. But you know it's hysterical? Well, no, like, it's, it's totally funny. hysterical. No, it's totally hysterical. Yeah, like we, <laughs> we posted those little note cards that says to go F yourself. It's written in this gorgeous, like, scripty <laughs> font that ridiculous. I designed. And it's, and it's super subtle, but it's very funny. And then I also posted, like, some cool cards with, like, pretty colors and really neat images and everything right and like th- those outsell everything oh everything it's insane like people will contact me and just be like oh my god i'm sending these to like everybody and you They're sell them so- in you sell them in sets of five <laughs> which is just really hysterical and the thing yeah. is though it's almost the stuff that you're like i can't believe i'm like yeah. printing this and that's the stuff that that people will want to buy it's so funny like the <laughs> to bring my parents back into it. My mom and dad were over for dinner a couple weeks ago. And, like, <laughs> we're all adults. We're sitting around in my house, you know? And, like, for some reason, my wife was talking to my mom about something different. My dad kind of leans over to me, and he goes, hey. And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? He goes, how are the uh, go left yourself cards selling? And I'm like, <laughs> why, are we, why are we whispering this? You know, like, what's the secret? And I'm like, they're selling great. And he's like, okay, because, you know, your mother was looking at them online. She thought, I hope Eric doesn't get in trouble. And, you know, they're like, they're like, but afterwards, I'm telling my wife, where am I getting in trouble with them? A 35-year-old man that's selling stationery to people that have really sarcastic senses of humor, you know? I kick out of it because there isn't there is like a more you know I think I have a bit of a clientele that looks for engravings and they look for things that are a little bit um finer and stuff and yeah now they're kind of mixed in with cards that say like you know you know whatever there's some new ones coming out too that are just as just as sarcastic uh, and hilarious when, when so, will those be coming out pretty soon it's like the dumbest thing in the world right and but i mean, i guarantee these things will go crazy meanwhile your mother is going to grow all the more concerned did you give her a heads up about your next your next uh edition coming out when i tell her those are going to come out i also i'm probably going to get back there at something like why don't you do a nice little engraving of like a, a pony because ponies are so cute <laughs> And sometimes I'll look at her and be like, you know what, ponies are whatever, really popular right now. I probably tell many of them. You know, sometimes she has ideas, but she doesn't realize they're really great. And other times it's just she's a little mom, and it's so fun. Your customers know that they can go for serious and also fun artwork and note cards. And so it sounds like you're just going to keep giving them more of the same, this kind of good mixture. I'm always coming up with new ideas and expanding stuff. But I'm right now trying to sort of combine or differentiate all these sort of like fine art really detailed engravings with like some of the more fun, colorful stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's fun because now because if you go to the shop, because you've really just jumped into the letterpress cards this year, you know, they're kind of all mixed in. So, you know, you've got this like really pretty mother and calf whale engraving and then you've got like, you know, some goofy card with a silly thing on it and stuff. And so I think as we get more and more and more different kind of fun, colorful cards, and then over the, you know, the months as I do the engraving, I think as the bodies of work get bigger, they kind of can stay a little separate. But at the same time, if you want to combine engraving and then you also want to get a like crazy little card, you know, and the shipping combined, so you might as well go for it. The thing I like about it too is that what you're doing with letterpress, and I've interviewed people who do letterpress, they're not doing original design work. But even people who've trained in graphic design are doing, you know, they're finding the old clip art that newspapers used to use and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's awesome that you're designing it and then you're sent, you're having you're having that made into a plate then and sent back to you. Yeah, there's like there's basically two ways. If it, if it's lettering or if it's like a, something that makes sense to do like a pen and ink drawing of, then those get like um quickly processed into a plate that gets printed from, and then everything else comes from either a woodcut or a lino cut or like a wood engraving. So basically. It's like a real print, you know, I mean, it, I don't sign them, <laughs> but, you know, the print. Are you collecting fonts now, or are you just making plates and printing from that? Oh, you mean like the type yeah. and stuff like that? I haven't, yeah, I haven't gotten too into it yet. I, I, I guess it'd be considered more like a more modern sort of letterpress guy, because, you know, if anything had lettering and, and fonts, I tend to go to the computer or I tend to draw it out and kind of make the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with type and with the wood type and the, and the, and the metal type and stuff, 
I think it's gorgeous. I think it's stunning. And I think I would love to have it. And it's, it's, it's sort of like this crazy, um, and I, I'm sure anyone that prints with it in a shop will tell you, it sort of becomes like this, uh, like it's like this, like the snowball rolling on the hill because, you know, I could easily go on Craigslist and find something that's getting rid of like a case of type. And I go, how cool, you know, I'm like a hundred bucks for it. And you bring it back and then it's like, it might be missing a few letters or a few things here or there. But, and then you look at it and you're like, okay, so I have like, you know, like maybe new Ro- new times Roman, like a normal font and maybe some crazy Western font. And then you <laughs> right. go, well, now I want a different font because, you know, I want to do business. And then as you want more and more of these different styles, you kind of have to go out and buy a whole run of the letters. Right. And you got to think too, it's not just like an A through Z, like you probably need like 20 A's and then 30 E's because if I'm going to write out a paragraph, like a poem that you wrote and print it for you, it's probably going to have like 15 E's in it, you know? Right, <laughs> easily, easily. I like to use yeah. the, e, the letter E. I'm going to be printing on fabric and I've been making like these little patches and stuff. And it's, I'm in that experimental phase because I haven't seen a lot of what I'm trying to do. There's going to be sewing involved in the final product. So it's not just print it and it's done. Um, and I'm also, I have to bring in other things. I have to bring the craft side of this, like the sewing and all these other, I have to hit them with some fiber art between the eyes to distract them from the fact that I can't make an yeah. etching like yours. <laughs> you know, you have to, I think we, we all have to, to be authentic, we all have to bring in, you do what you can, like where your talent is. But you do learn from other people too. That, I mean, it's funny. Everything I think of that has anything to do with letterpress printing, I've learned in like the last year and a half. Like I didn't go to school for letterpress or like do an internship at a shop. And I, I can tell you, I probably know maybe five percent of what I need to. Like, I mean, and I'm into that. I like that. I keep picking up tips and stuff. And because I'm like with the wood engraving, you know, I've been doing it for god eight or nine or ten years now. So anybody that buys a block of that resin grave and, and gets a tool and starts playing with, like, I mean, it's always a disaster. Mine were a disaster for years, you know. But if I see one, if I see somebody on Instagram and they put something up and it's like hashtag resin grave and hashtag wood engraving, I'm immediately going to like jump on it and be like, this is awesome. Like, it's so hard to do. I'm so into this. It looks cool. And like, we might talk back and forth a little bit about it. They might ask me some ideas about how I get things to look a certain way and stuff. And that's when I'm just like, you can ask me anything you want because I just like super want people to like be able to work on stuff and everything you know i think it's great you know (laughs) like you said everyone has a different skill set and if you can like help somebody do something they really want to do that you're really good at i think it's like an amazing thing to do i mean it's not it's not costing you any money it's not you know bothering you or anything i mean i don't i mean i don't sit down to dinner and then you know in the middle of dinner answer questions (laughs) but i'll tell you tv is pretty crappy nowadays so i don't mind at night like from eight till nine answering crap while under the dome is on I'm not super you know hooked on that show so right no I hear you I hear you it works (laughs) you said you had five tips for printmaking and if you can maybe quickly share a couple more of those for people that might be just starting out well I think like I said probably one of the biggest ones is really control over like how thin the ink is you know like nice thin layers and like gradually building stuff up, you know, like not just like slugging ink on there, slugging paper on there and like throwing it through because it's it, it never going to come out that great, you know. People do woodcuts sometimes that are just these huge, bold, gigantic things and that's fine. I mean, you can I mean, you can just squeeze ink on those because then there's nothing. But as soon as anything gets detailed or anything like that, it, I think controlling your ink, getting that nice and fine is, is really important. I think the pressure on the press or if you're hand printing stuff, the pressure you're using with your hand, you know, it's going to take a little while and definitely some patience to keep adjusting things. You'll find out too, the more you use the Conrad press, like the nicest thing about that is you can adjust those. I think it's like a human hair thickness, like a 0.005 inch. Yes. So to think that you, you have that option, I mean, it just shows you that if, if people request and, and need that option, then it shows that people are out there like literally, you know, adjusting the press for three hours before they get something the way they want it. And so I think patience and just really paying attention sort of while you're doing it and just learn like constantly when you have a question like use the internet like use instagram like use these forums and stuff you know try and sift out the nonsense information you're reading but like definitely try and pick up some stuff from there because it's probably the point now where it's more informational and you'll get more from it than like those basic courses in college that are going to teach you like here's how to ink the block here's how to carve the block and then they say carve it for a couple of weeks and then you do and then they're like okay here's how you print them you print a couple and they go 
all right, you can work on that a little more. And I mean, there's a lot of importance to going to school and learning that and being in that classroom and getting into it. But then when you get home and you start figuring out, like, how do I make things look like this? And how do I make the ink be three different colors blended together and stuff? Play around or look it up or chat with somebody and keep going. Just keep doing it. Because <laughs> it, it's fun. And I will tell you, printmaking might be the craziest art form ever. I haven't, of course, dabbled in everything at all. Like I said, I don't like painting very much. And I do some drawing and stuff and, and a bunch of other little things. And I've, I've, I've tried different things and even 3D and sculpture and stuff. But like printmaking is the one that's it's based on like this old archaic machinery and you know the methods that you make things are entirely by hand. There's no like mm-hmm. computer program that spits out you know uh, you know an etching plate or whatever. Like you're there scratching an etching plate or engraving a copper plate or like cutting into linoleum and cutting your fingers and you know making mistakes and swearing up a storm and like it's entirely crazy. I mean, anyway, most people that take printmaking one, I mean, I think 80% was what my professors just told me after printmaking one, they're like, see you later. Like it was interesting. (laughs) Uh, I get what you're doing. I like the idea that I can make Christmas cards if I try this for long enough, but like, no way. Like, this is not for me. You know, I want to go plug in Photoshop and like design some t-shirts and do things that way and stuff. And I think it's great. So all the printmakers out there, you know, Unite, I think we're growing. I think there's like millions of us now. I think it's coming back. I don't know. I can't explain why, but letterpress is big. I mean, it's crazy. Um, And I know I tried it first in 2006 or seven and thought, you know what? This is just not for me. My problem then is I didn't know when to stop carving. So I would would kind of like, I was like an old, a very old person in an out of control Oldsmobile where I would just kind of couldn't find the brakes, you know, and I would just keep going. And then I'd be like, wow, I've just destroyed this block. And well, now I came back to it though. And what got me back to it is I started carving my kids' drawings to start. Before I started drawing, doing my own. Oh, cool! And, and when yeah. I and, and just wait till art starts doing some crayon stuff. It is oh, yeah. amazing because you carve a kid's drawing. It's so fun, and you automatically love the art because it's your kid. They made the art, and you're like, "This oh, is yeah. awesome." Yeah, you're getting a lot out of that, and then now you're thinking about ways to incorporate fabric and sewing, and you're going to be making product or something that's just like totally unique to you and and to everyone. I think it's phenomenal, and you know, if it starts at printmaking, that's great. I mean, if it starts anywhere else, it's awesome. And I just think it's so good. I think it's so cool. And I think there's a lot of printmakers. And like you said, they're growing and it's getting huge. Like I've been to shows and, and museums that are just poster shows. And it's like, this never would have happened 10 years ago. Like so screen posters everywhere. It's phenomenal. And like, I love it. And I'll tell you, the conferences I've been to and the classes and the talks I've given and then like, you know, millions of people on Instagram and everything. It seems like with how big, like, you know, there's a letterpress place opening every week, you know, and there's like a ton of, tons of printmaking classes and like workshops, like, you know, more and more and more and more and more of us. And like, they're doing like, you know, junior high now and not just college. And I think all, everyone that does printmaking, I don't think anybody really gets like ticked about it. Like, I don't think it's probably one of those things where like, you know, if there's 200 letterpress places in New England now and 10 years ago, there were six, I feel like all 200 of us are actually excited that there's more people doing it and we all end up becoming friends and like sharing stories and details mm-hmm. and it becomes a community instead of this like I can't believe there's another one in Rhode Island now and like I've got to deal with this and everything like it it's one of these rare things where I think it it just becomes a community that gets bigger and bigger and I think it's great I think it's amazing and that's I think why I'm so into on Instagram and like I'll run into like someone in 11th grade that just, just did like a little book screen and I'm like this is awesome I love it and right. it, it, it's a picture it's a picture of like you know a bobcat skull and I do great because little animal skulls and I think it looks killer and then they're of course like oh my god you did mouse there's those crazy stuff and it's like <laughs> no, no, no no I'm like that's not the point that's not the point I'm just telling you your print is awesome keep printing you know like yeah that's, yeah all I'm saying here is so good. Keep going. I appreciate all the time. You've been very generous. This has gone on about double the time I told you it would take. Um, no, it's fun. <laughs> but I, this I, is my problem. I'll talk to you until like midnight no, and we'll, I, we'll end up on talking about like you'll, you'll be teaching me how to sew over the phone. Like, I, just, <laughs> I, like, I like never stop. I swear to God. It's crazy. No, I don't stop talking either. And after I have had a little more time printmaking, we'll do maybe a part two or something. And uh, when you move into your brick and mortar shop, maybe I'll go on a vacation with my family. We'll camp nearby <laughs> in a campground and visit your shop uh, and do the, a, the, do the part two. I was a killer idea. Yeah, I no, it. I think it's good. I like to meet Art and any other members yeah. of your family that you might have at that yeah. time. 
I might have a kid named Kraft. I might have a kid, you know, I could have a whole slew of oh children gosh. that are running if around. Name, if you name your kid Kraft, wow. Well, you know what's really funny? And my husband, he does a, an edit on this show as well. It's like his dream yeah. to edit what his wife says. It's my gift to him. But um, one of the things that he would always laugh about is early on with the show, in its first uh, installment, I would always ask people, I would always get to a point in the show where I would say, okay, well, you know, the big debate between art and craft, I'd have the person define, you know, what they think the difference is between art and craft. And he would just kind of throw his head back and be like, here we go again. It's the art art versus craft question. And the fact that you've actually brought that up on your own and that I haven't flat out asked you the difference, um, it's going to be killing him. So as a gift to uh, my husband, (laughs) how do you see it, the difference between art and craft? Oh my goodness! I, in thirty I, seconds I or less. Kind of, no, I'm just in thirty kidding. seconds. I'm kidding. I'm I kind kidding. of, I kind of feel like craft is when you're making something with your hands. Sort of, you're you're actually like making. You're mm-hmm. actually doing that way. I feel like art or artist is something that maybe someone else would say to you. You know, they they might put you in that category because you know you're making like a traditional. I would probably sum it up as like, I think the outside would say you're making art because it kind of is a summary or of what you're doing. And I think the maker is actually maybe working on a craft. I see. And then in my crazy mind, where again, I, I don't judge anybody anytime, but you know, when I meet like a young artist or whatever at their show and it's like art, this art, that I'm an artist, art, art, art. It's like, you know, I listen to them. I look at their work. I look at their work the same as, you know, if I'm at a, you know, a library that has some work up on the wall from someone who's just like, yeah, I just like to do a little painting and stuff. And I'm, you know, the much more modest about it. I look at their work the same way, but, mm. you know, in the back of my mind, I think, like, oh, my goodness, this guy's, like, prancing around. Art, this art, that. And in my mind, I just, that's a personal thing for me. I think it's a little silly. I think it just comes out a little weird. <laughs> well, I've noticed that I've done some craft shows in my day, and I, I've never seen anybody prance at one. That might be the difference. Uh, you, you prance in the gallery, and you just strut in the art show. You know, I don't know. You know who, um, you know who does that? The guys with the gold business cards. <laughs> that's the <safe> artist. <laughs> They feel like Jim Smith and in gold leaf, it just says artist and a period. There's like nothing. That would be period. awesome. There's no phone that would be, be a pretty nice um, run, print run for you. And you said, what was your price? Uh, a seven grand for the I think gold? seven grand is good. We That's a pretty good one. If you're, really, that, if you're you a really a good artist, if you're a very fine artist, that should be within their range. You know? <laughs> That'd be great. You could just say, like, you know, put up or shut up, you know. If you're yeah. Picasso, you can afford the gold leaf <laughs> business cards. I'll get going on them tomorrow, you know. <laughs> well, I'm sure now that we've alienated anyone who would have even considered. To I know, right? Yeah, We're awful. I think, I, yeah, I think you just lost the, the one, the, that guy that was going to get the gold cards from you. I think he might be kind of mad now. Before I destroy your following and, and break you down to no follower, I will uh, let you go. For those who are itching to get right on Instagram right now immediately and find you, tell them under what name they can find you. It's under Eric Von Zip. That has always been a nickname of mine, and I, I toyed with changing it to, like, Swafford Press when everything got pretty real, you know, about a year ago. But it's just, I've always had the nickname Eric Von Zip, so E-R-I-C-V-O-N-Z-I-P. <laughs> and that's it. You might, you might get a picture of my dog who has crooked teeth and is very silly, or you might get a picture of, you know, the next fancy pants engraving. You don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> Thanks again. I appreciate it. And, awesome. It's um... fun. <laughs> I really appreciate all the time that Eric spent telling his story. For all you listeners out there, I would appreciate some feedback on whether or not you thought that dividing it up into two episodes was a good idea. If it's better for you to have one long episode or did this work for you? Either shoot me an email, jennifer at craftsanity.com or post a comment on the website, craftsanity.com and right under the episode 137, the write-up, the little notes about the show. I invite you to stop at craftsanity.com to get links to check out Eric's press and his Facebook page and his Etsy shop as well. He has some really cool prints available. I know I have some of them in my collection now. They're super inspiring, whether you're a printmaker or not. They're really pretty cool to examine in person. So if you're into collecting prints, check out what Eric has to offer. He also has some greeting cards. Some of them are a little bit for adult audiences, but he also has some that are totally appropriate to send your mom. So (laughs) use your own discretion on that. 
I was so inspired by all this talk about printmaking that I've been engaged in lately that on the first day of school with my college students, I was a little bit restricted because I can't walk around currently. I had to station myself at the front of the classroom, and normally I stand at the door and I greet all my new students and I shake their hand introduce myself. I couldn't really do that this time. So what I did is I stationed myself at the front of my classroom. I brought my carving tools, linoleum, and a design to class. Before class started, I I transferred my design and started carving. I got the design carved before school. While we were queuing up a video that one of my students had produced, and we were showing this to the incoming students, I decided, okay, I'm going to pull this print right now here at the end of class. And so while the students were watching that, I put some ink out on a piece of plexiglass and was rolling it. Some students were kind of noticing like, okay, now she put ink out on a piece of glass or something. There were some perplexed looks, but then I pulled the print with a spoon and peeled it off and kind of ended the class with, I like to remind people on the first day that you don't have to know everything to be a journalist. You just have to know how to find out. The thing that guides me the most is my curiosity. So I just said, you know, just be curious. And I showed them my print and it said, be curious. I mean, it didn't really have a huge effect. And I don't know if really anybody knows that I carved that block or I I don't even know because I didn't have time to explain class ended. And it was about this pretty much like, you know, 90 second deal at the end there. I think, though, the moral of the story, though, is sometimes you got to try something different and see what works. I definitely cannot be carving blocks during class. I mean, I definitely did that on my own time. And uh, if I want to peel messages off, I don't know if I'm going to start carving AP style tips or what. But it was a fun thing. And it definitely was influenced by printmakers like Eric and all the other folks out there who are carving messages into linoleum and, and wood and sharing them with the world. If you have any guest suggestions, feel free to send those in. I'm always looking for people to add to the list. Uh, Lately, I've been trying to find people that are kind of breaking out, you know, people that are doing their thing and they may not be household names yet. I think for Eric, it's only a matter of time. His work's fantastic. His press is only a little over a year old. So he's really just ramping up. And I love to catch people as they're kind of emerging. Not to say that I won't interview people who are more well-known. That's fun, too. But I, I think there's something really kind of cool about getting to interview someone whose story has not been told a million times. If you know of someone in your community or a friend of yours that's been working hard to launch a handmade business or their own art business of some kind, get in touch. I'd love to hear about those folks. And if you yourself are somebody toiling away right now in your studio, maybe you're painting or you're weaving or you're whatever you're doing, if you think that this is might be the time for you to get out there, tell me what you're making, folks. I'd love to hear about it. I have a column to write and uh, more podcasts to edit, so I'm going to move on to that work. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, folks. I really appreciate it. And a special thanks to my Patreon sponsors who I can see you guys, really, when I'm doing these interviews. I imagine that you are here in the studio audience. Thank you very much for coming along with me on this creative journey and helping me keep this project going. I want to wish you folks well and those of you who are moms and dads and are going to be getting your children ready for school here in the United States. A lot of schools are starting back to school on Tuesday after the holiday weekend. I hope that goes smooth for you all. And I will be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at craftsandy.etsy.com.